0: Okay, welcome everyone to Wednesday Nights at ACCA. This is our final New 11 public program and um, I'm Caitlin Malcolm, the program's manager here and I would like to introduce to you some ruckus and also our speakers. Um, Hannah Matthews, who's the curator of New 11, um, will be in conversation with Gavin Bell, um, Simon McLean and Jeremy. Dukura, and also Tim Costa. I've probably got that very wrong, but you'll forgive me. Please make them welcome. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, As Caitlin said, we've been having these Wednesday evening uh, discussions with the artists uh, and myself about the new 11 exhibition and their works, which have been commissioned for the show. I might just pause. Do we want to keep your work on? There's just one of, one of the artworks in the show, which is actually Tim Costas, is a sound piece, and you might find it a little bit hard to concentrate on what we're saying with that going on in the background. So, sorry to interrupt. There we go. It's a bit easier to concentrate and focus. So, now, now that your attention has explicitly been drawn to that work, um, I... Um, We'll begin tonight's conversation um, speaking with Tim, who's an artist who has uh, studied and presented um, a number of works in New Zealand and some in Europe, working with other artists and performers. Recently located to Melbourne 18 months ago, two years ago?
1: Yeah, about that. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um, and we're very lucky to have him here in Melbourne because since you've been here, you've been both performing and presenting works, and also having exhibitions in some of the spaces here, including, like, projects. Yep. Um, for those of you that perhaps aren't so familiar with Tim's work or haven't had it pointed out to you yet, I suppose, as part of the exhibition, it's two um, sound environments, and both of, the first is actually located in the foyer entrance to Akron, and the second is actually located just behind me here on the window. So the two sound environments, one, they comprise one work, and they're quite sort of magic um, field recordings, which have been manipulated and treated in such a way that they draw on the material materiality and the architecture of the acro environment in order to be audible. And it's quite a process that has led to what we hear and experience as part of the work in the New 11 exhibition. And I guess my First question, certainly being someone who hasn't worked with sound myself so often, is perhaps if you could unpack a little the processes which have kind of led to the presentation as the, of the work as it is in New.
1: Yeah, um, well I guess the first start was being asked to show in the foyer. Um, so from that point, sort of I decided that I wanted to have something that was like working with the idea of environmental or ambient sound, I guess, like, kind of background sound. Like, it's not a, um, like, isolated sort of quiet listening space. It's like a, a place where people are walking around and talking and maybe not really even noticing that they're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd previously um, done a work which was um, using... Uh, wind chime recordings Um, and this was kind of almost part two of that, um, using rain recordings, sort of like appropriating new-age relaxation background music um, but sort of bringing it out of like a personal headphone relaxation space into a public space. Um, So I decided pretty early on that I wanted to use rain recordings Um, and those are, I guess, represented, represented um, in the space with these resonant speakers, which are actually vibrating the glass, um, which in turn might vibrates the air, I guess. Um, which produces the sound that we have. Which produces the sound yeah. rather than just sort of like the direct speaker to air thing that you have normally. Um, and that was just sort of to work. I guess, uh, with sort of the physicality of the space, but also sort of to avoid a visual element to it, to Mm -hmm. a degree, like there's not a a focal point in the same way as if there were um, speakers. And so once that was all kind of in place, um, the actual sounds that are getting played back, contact microphone recordings of rain, which have been um, recorded onto tape which I speed up and speed down and it also goes through um, an auto-tune pedal um, because the the original, well ha- half of the rain recordings are done through a thumb piano um, so it's like the sound of the rain hitting the thumb piano which sort of makes this like untuned but musical like sort of vibration to it yeah, so that's that's the process.
0: I guess most people mm. perhaps are familiar with the um, auto-tune software with pop songs and, I guess, things that we sort of experience more in uh, on the radio or CD recordings. Perhaps we could talk a little bit about your reasoning and decisions to put, I guess, field recordings of a natural element through that kind of process in terms of the sound itself yeah, and the quality um, of the it's
1: sound. K- it's kind of balancing two things that don't really work the way that I thought they would, Um, like sort of just recording ran through a thumb piano actually sounds really nice and there's not really any reason to do anything more to it. Um, So basically the auto-tune is adding, like it's not a particularly high quality effect, like it reduces the the sampling rate if the source audio, and so it's almost adding back into it white noise or just kind of like a, it's distorting it basically, um, which is something I wanted the, the sound in the space to have a dialogue with and that it's not a, yeah, it's sort of a crowded noisy space to begin with.
0: You mentioned earlier this response to um, physical environment. Mm. And when I invited um, Tim to uh, participate in you, I I did present a challenge which was to address or to create a work which would address the foyer space of ACCA. And obviously, um, the architecture of the ACCA galleries and um, both Chunky Move and the the Malthouse space at the back is quite distinct and um, some consider quite dominating and overbearing. Um, And the foyer space itself is a real, um, you know, it's constantly in flux. There's the reception, there's a bookshop, there's a coffee machine, there's school groups, there's people passing to the kitchen, the bathroom, the galleries, and what have you. It's a real, you know, a hub for the activities of the organisation here. And a little backstory, I suppose, to Woods Marsh, who um, are the architects behind this building, is that they've also designed a number of nightclubs before they kind of moved in to um, the iconic architecture that we're sitting in today. And we talked about that. Um, early on during one of our sort of sessions sitting here in the space and and really just observing what was going on. And I wonder how much I suppose the activity and that sort of the historical background to the architects themselves, if it has had any influence I suppose not necessarily on um, the conception of the piece but perhaps Mm -hmm. how you chose to kind of present it with the resonant speakers with these kind of dots which there are a number of I suppose in this space.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really researched the architects or the, the history of it except for, you know, that anecdotal kind yeah. of thing. But um, I guess sort of part of, um, like, the placement of the work, um, sort of using the window speakers, the window spaces at both ends, was sort of quite important structurally, I guess. Like, there's sort of so much, um, like, reflection and artificial light and sort of... Um, I don't know, it's not quite like nightclub disorientation, but it's, you know, it's kind of getting close. And so I just, yeah, I guess just sort of focusing on like the clear ends, like natural light and yeah, those kind of spaces sort of really um, like define the layout. Yeah. Because
0: the, the very nice thing about the work, and I'm I'm not aware to what degree you were able to control or plan it, was how the sound actually moves quite a lot throughout the space and the various alcoves, mm. both into the kitchen and the and the, lounge, uh, the bathrooms. Yeah. And certainly, there's a very nice element um, of it which I was very um, excited by when you started talking about it, which was. That while there was these sort of two um, focused environments, as you moved away from them they became sort of slightly out of focus mm. and then in yeah. focus again as you move throughout the space and there's something mm. nice between that kind of oral relationship to a visual relationship
1: Yeah well I mean just with all sort of the various planes of the architecture it sort mm. of changes it really like reflections and echoes yeah. and stuff and like I guess in using sort of the two ends I kind of like the idea that the same sound is happening or like two variations of the same thing are happening simultaneously but you don't you can't necessarily like pinpoint the sound source yeah um so that there's um almost you know like a stereo sound idea or just like as a as a compositional idea yeah sort of the the duplication which then gets lost you know it's like starting with um like an extra amount of detail, but then with a the person actually moving through the space and experiencing that, it's mm. not necessarily um, perceived in the same way. Yeah.
0: yeah. The other element of the work is that it exists, because of the resonant speakers that you've chosen to use, it exists both inside and outside of the gallery. So the work can be heard outside of Acker as one approaches the entrance and also actually almost down to the vault, the yellow, or a.k.a. the yellow peril. You can hear it from all the way down there. Mm. It also runs 24 hours a day. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jen, I I realised what effect and impact it could possibly have outside of the gallery Mm. and that that was real.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, When one of the staff who work on the coffee cart came back after hours, this was just after the exhibition had opened, to pick something up, and she could hear this kind of pattering drilling sound from the corner of... um, Grant and Dodd Street or whatever it is up here and was sort of slightly um, alarmed because it sounded like something was kind of going on inside inside the building with Mm. the decision, because it has been your decision to run at 24 hours and for the work to exist both inside and outside the Mm. gallery perhaps you could talk a little bit about the reasons why Um,
1: Yeah, I guess it was just kind of a way of giving it like in some ways having it like here in the foyer when the gallery's open is kind of compromising it in a way or yeah it's kind of not um it's not like on a pedestal with a spotlight on it um you know sort of backgrounded and so yeah i guess the the 24 hour thing or it's just sort of yeah continuing it outside of that so it's giving it like another space in a way which is outside
0: and I guess activating also the architecture as you are with the material of the glass, but activating yeah. the whole of the architecture architectural space.
1: Well, like as you say, what like you know, with hearing it from up the road, it does it's you can't really pinpoint it again like the mm. way that it just sounds like the building is making this noise. You mm. know, it's hard to And it's worrying to, it to some people. <laughs> yeah.
0: It doesn't sound like rain from that far away, I think. That's the
1: Yeah, and I mean to some degree it doesn't even really sound that much like rain right at yeah. all, um, but, yeah, I guess I kind of like that, um, you know, sort of the the relaxational properties of white noise or, or that, yeah, kind of stuff of just, like, int- introducing a, um, light like background frequencies to smooth things out, but then yeah. you're aware of that as well, or, you know, just like that, um, yeah, like a shift in focus depending on if you're listening for it or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: My last question, Tim, is actually about the sort of relationship between the visual and the oral within your work because uh, some of your installations have included both. Yeah. Um, And so in the decision-making process of what you're actually going to present in the exhibition context, um, I guess considering both the potentials and limitations of working in a visual way versus in an oral way, how do you make decisions, and I guess with this example in mind,
1: Mm.
0: how do you make decisions about how to balance or have those two kind of working in in complement?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess with the space in particular, for me there wasn't really any question of it, like if doing anything sort of sculptural or visual in it. In a visual way. Yeah, just because there's so much going on in it already. Um, and, yeah, I just didn't think it needed sort of addi- additional physical, um, yeah, intervention or anything. And in yeah. your
0: earlier work, so the project that you presented at Light Projects, um, yeah. early this year, mm. when there was a sort of sculptural component which also referenced, um, the recording process with mm. the work?
1: Mm. Um... Yeah, I guess it's, like, that's, I thought it's not an ideal space. It's sort of more of a whack cube kind of gallery. Or, like, it's a space where you're maybe more focused on the visual, where it just sort of seemed like here anything would be lost or, you know, not really. Except for the center, sound. Except for the sound, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, that's sort of the, um, yeah, I guess it's just a particular avenue that it's, Taken And also, I mean, it's such a huge space to make an impact on it, like to paint it green or something, would be a lot of effort. Yeah. Or to... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just, just, to, just, just to make an impact is yeah. sort of quite difficult.
0: But I think at the same time, you absolutely have done that, both
1: oh, yeah, in this space yeah, sure. and then outside the building, like in yeah. a way
0: harnessing a building and kind of activating it so that people who are so familiar with it on the, in their landscape and horizon line... That Suddenly, get freaked out. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's well. I mean, it, it's quite an unusual space. Yeah, it's not like it's not exactly cozy or <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no one could no one could argue that. I yeah. think about Farada. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, that yeah. sort of segues, I suppose, to the work by Greatest Hits, um, which in the exhibition oh. is an ice sculpture presented in a display freezer, and you know, perhaps the, the possibility of a levitating building and the alien that is represented inti- inside this freezer. The most obvious question and the one that um, certainly all the school groups have been asking when they come in is why the alien? Why, why you've chosen the alien form or the idea of the alien to be um, represented, portrayed as part of this work? And I know there's lots of reasons and lots of anecdotes around this.
2: Um, uh, How do you want to deal with this? Um, uh, Let me think. Well, I guess we sort of came up with the idea of um, just having a figure in the freezer was this sort of initial sort of approach we had for an idea for the work. Um, We kind of had sort of... um, I think we spoke about, like, um, having Hitler in it or um, Walt Disney and all these sort of things, but we sort of sat on um, the idea of the alien because we thought it to be a bit more appropriate for the... um, uh, relationship to the, the freezer as a sort of cliche, you see a lot of aliens and freezers and stuff like that. Do you? Yeah, you do, like Independence <laughs> Day yeah. and sort of… It's kind of like
3: a, a sci-fi thing. Okay. Okay.
4: <laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt. So, um, so, I guess from there we um, started focusing on the alien and, um, and started thinking about how, how this generic form of the alien kind of came to be so recognisable through um, Through popular culture, it's kind of become a an icon that is is kind of closely associated with things like the unknown and and you know the other and things like that so um, I guess and part of it was this interesting situation where it's um, such a recognizable form that it's it's a cliche, but um, what it's used to signify is Something you know, almost the opposite to the familiar. It's it's used to signify something that's unfamiliar. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, so why else an alien? Why else an alien? I mean, you
0: enjoyed you enjoyed the research behind the aliens as well, and um, perhaps yeah, I, also you I, could I, just t- tell people maybe a little bit about how the work came to be made. I suppose because okay. that's also important obviously to its conception
4: okay so just on the alien again it's it's just one of those it's one of those things that a lot of people have to have a lot to say about really like um even if you don't believe you know believe um (laughs) it's um it's something that everyone kind of knows what an alien looks like so so i guess that's got to do with what we're saying before about the um about kind of dispersion of this image that's, you know, become so popular. Um, And the process from there, I think early on we decided that it definitely had to be this um, generic form of an alien, Mm. it had to be this um, cliche of an alien.
3: Yeah, the interest was definitely in like the phenomena of the imagery of aliens, like how it's, you know, it's become this thing that's not actually an alien anymore. It's like an idea of aliens, like a symbol Mm. rather than yeah, so I guess it's playing with, like, that cultural thing that exists.
0: But you spent quite an enjoyable time researching aliens on the internet, and certainly the um, catalogue text that's been written in the, um, in the exhibition catalogue is accompanied by quite a um, sort of tile spread of Google images under mm. grey aliens. Yeah?
3: Well, yeah, that was pretty much... Because Google search works through popularity, so it's kind of... that's exactly what we use is just the most popular kind of iconic version mm. of what an alien is or of representing that, of kind of, um, yeah, of illustrating the idea of what an alien is. Yeah. So was our source material mm. generated through the internet. Yeah.
2: And I guess, I mean, sort of trying to depict what an alien is became of, uh, more of an interest. Oh, hold it. Okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean... I, um, hmm. So, so yeah. Why why
4: alien? I think it, something else that um, came out through the research was um, just how how it's um, how an alien has become viewed differently than it was, say, seventy years ago. So, so the effect that kind of uh, that time has had on the context how you read an alien?
0: Yeah, well certainly many of your earlier works, and these guys have been working together since um, they graduated in 2008. Yeah. yeah, Is um, looking at popular iconography and um, objects and sort of questioning, I suppose, what value and meaning are attributed to those items and how the value and meaning of those items can actually change depending on the context that they're presented in. So with the alien, you're kind of like talking about perhaps in the 50s, the mm. representations kind of more associated with Roswell and kind of mm. fear and yeah. alien and other, mm. and then in the 21st century and even late 20th century they become um, more kind of popularized mm. Mm. entertainment uh, fandom.
4: Yeah, uh, that kind of shift. Yeah, and there's there's been real you know there's been a shift towards um, uh, an affection towards towards aliens, and um, I mean you can put that down to a lot of things, but um, yeah, we we found it kind of interesting how it came from a um, something to be feared to something to be loved, mm. and mm. and also um, actually I think one of the main things that became clear through all of that was um, uh, the alien was a way of envisioning or putting a face to the unknown, and um, and we started thinking a lot more about how how that related to. Um, as as people, how we see ourselves. So how how we see, how we imagine the unknown says a lot about us, mm. basically.
3: Yeah, like if you give a you give a face to your fears, kind of thing. It's like, you have yeah, this this fear of um, the unknown thing to make that real, to make that like an other thing, mm. is uh, comforting in a way.
4: It's yeah, it's a comfortable image, the alien. It's a it's something that you can you kind of. I uh, feel like you know, and um, yeah.
0: But the element of the unknown, and I guess the alien is this kind of um, iconic representation of the unknown, is something you really harnessed and embraced in terms of the processes and methodologies you kind of yeah. used to actually have the work made. Because what happened is after quite an extensive and I said, as I said, enjoyable sort of period of research into the aliens, and particularly grey aliens, And I have to say, we were just looking at the catalogue before and Michael Jackson appears on that first page of Google icon imagery, doesn't he? Mm. Anyway, um, these guys sent off um, a sort of package of this research material to a commercial ice sculptor and asked him to create this um, sculpture on their behalf. And that idea of the unknown and actually handing over, I guess, the sort of um, physical authorship of the work Mm. was a continuation of this kind of interest in the unknown and how that might physically manifest in your own work. Yeah. The other thing, I suppose, about this work, which maybe distinguishes a little bit from the earlier pieces that they've made, which have been looking at sort of shifting the parameters and context of a work to kind of alter its meaning or its seriousness perhaps a little bit, is that this work, um, you know, for me in terms of choosing... um, to represent an alien and the topic of kind of alien nation, alien culture, is you're also kind of immediately providing the audience with something that they do recognize and that they do have something to talk about. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the text that is written by a um, Lithuanian curator is a, it's a really great text that you can read in the catalogue. It talks about, or it's sort of in a tongue in cheek way, it kind of talks about the parallels that might exist between aliens and contemporary art, how often people will go into an exhibition and feel quite alienated because they don't understand necessarily yeah. what yeah. is going on or what the artist is trying to say. And certainly there was an exhibition that was shown in London, which tried to actually create an environment where the viewers actually were entering into a, um, like an alien experience, as I understand, an extraterrestrial kind of experience of art. Um,
3: how
2: that work?
0: I don't know, but I do remember looking at that
3: wasn't show. it supposed to be artwork uh, that's made by aliens or something?
0: No, no, you were actually, you were not meant to be on Earth, as I understood. I remember seeing actually an efflux thing for it when it happened yeah, yeah, and thinking, yeah. how curious, No wonder how that would be recreated and whether yeah. people would pick up.
4: I, it's, a, it's an interesting um, uh, device or something to, to think about in a really kind of basic way about, um, about perception, I guess, about how you see. So... So I think I get the feeling that that's where they're coming from with a, an exhibition like that. It's about
2: um, yeah, I it's, guess about it's about certain limitations that you have with sort of perceiving things. Mm. I mean, I think when people sort of look at or try and imagine or try and find extraterrestrial life, they always try and base it on, on our own um, experience and understands of the world. So they normally try and find life in um, water or frozen ice or something like that. So um, because like it's sort of limited to our own imaginations. And a lot of people sort of say that, not a lot of people, but, like, people say, well, you know, intelligent life could exist in, like, a um, a cloud or something like that. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's in, like, a different realm of experience yeah. and stuff like that. So I guess we're all sort of basing um, our experience on what we know. So. Rather than what we don't know. Yeah, what yeah. we don't know. So exactly. mm. I think,
3: like, the only thing that we've made which is the most popular kind of uh, understandable version is... Um, you know it says a lot about people because it's
4: it, it looks like people yeah, it looks like people <laughs> looks i mean like people. yeah
3: it, it talks about people
4: yeah it well you know I think yeah, it goes back to I guess what we were saying before what Jared was saying about um yeah how how you al- how you always base um, your idea of what you don't know or don't understand in some way that always comes back to yourself or. Your own understanding or experience so so yeah the alien kind of it kind of looks like a person
0: well it's a totally human construct so this is and i think the other thing which was very clever um, decision on your behalf the three of you was to choose someone else to actually and and an artisan Mm. in his field however diverse eye sculpting may become to (laughs) render this alien because if you look at it it's I mean, its body is very alien-like. It's kind of sprouting from some bizarre kind of crystal background, which I really think is probably a balancing device. Yeah, so it doesn't fall front hand. on its head.
3: He made one before that that broke. That yeah, yeah that broke.
0: But its face, I mean, while it is of this kind of alien form, it's also slightly like a face mask. It's so kind of rudimentary and naive in how the nose is kind of carved in and the mouth is kind of slashed in. And... Um, I think certainly in my mind over the last few months, when you've sort of sent through the research material that you're gathering, mm. I definitely had a more kind of Hollywood CGI mm. modelled version of an alien in mind. And so when this
2: well, that's we object turned yeah.
0: up, it was sort of shocking how human it was.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
0: it's a very nice comment that you've sort of, in a way, risked through the unknown to actually make quite overt, I think, yeah. in the actual final work.
4: Yeah, it's, it's very, uh, very humanly made. It's very obviously made by a human, yeah. I think. I think we
3: can all agree on that.
0: It hasn't just come down from wherever.
4: It, it, yeah, sorry,
3: God. Oh, Sorry, I was saying, yeah, like, the, the Alien from the beginning, it was kind of this idea of it being kind of universal and a bit timeless as well. Like, mm. it speaks about now, but that also speaks about the future, because, you know, it's obviously like a sci-fi thing, that The Alien. But it also talks about the past, like, in terms of, you know, people would say that they've been here forever or whatever, but in terms of um, people making sculptures and representations of themselves and mm. what they are, like, a, and especially this one, it looks a lot like, you know, an ancient sculpture or, or it looks some like kind an of ink. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: So, yeah, and it, I, I guess all that kind of fed into why... We're not answering your questions right That's OK. Long, that's, it doesn't um, have to be that didactic. Oh, I
0: think that's fine.
4: But... Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, that that idea of time—it all fed into why, um, well, what rather we thought of thought of the show and thought about this idea of new. Mm. Like it's, um, I know it's not the gallery's intention to present, you know, what is new, although you know a lot of people believe that. But there is this idea of um, what is new when you walk in. Like it's an expectation. So. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think we'll think about how, um, you know, w- what is new and it, it seems in a way to have something to do with the past and the present and something to do with the future. It seems to be, you know.
0: You've hit, you're covering all bets.
4: <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. Um. <laughs> in a clever
0: way. I have a question also about the material that you've decided to use and actually how kind of materials and your, your use of materials. Um, to me, kind of comes out quite strongly in a lot of the works that you've made. For Structural Integrity, which was an exhibition that Next Wave presented last year as part of their festival, Greatest Hits presented quite a large um, rainbow made out of wax pieces, which were... What is the method? Oh, it's, just,
2: it's a keystone. Keystone. Yeah.
0: Almost like you would find in, you know, Anchor or like, you know, you know incredibly old architecture. So, how I mean, it was quite... It was substantial. And it was this very yeah. sort of striking, um, beautiful sculptural element which had the potential to be the candles, the wicks to be set on fire and the whole 300 thing... Wicks. Three, 300 wicks. 300 wicks to be set on fire and the whole thing end up in a puddle on the floor, which, of course, is also a potential for this work that appears at Acca in the form of ice at the moment. Unfortunately, you weren't allowed to set the thing on fire because there was too much... We
3: we could have, but it, in the end we didn't inside. really want to. It, yeah. would have, it would have been a massive... Um, mm-hmm.
2: What do you call it? OHS sort of issues. Or? I think it would have been a big disaster. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But again, with you know, wax wax was kind of the primary material that you um, employed, and really kind of went through a process of research and education to figure out how to kind of work with it in quite an ambitious way. And I think the same could be um, said here to, to some degree with ice, because mm-hmm. all you are looking at inside that display freezer is ice, despite the fact that people think it is resin and that we're, you know, uh, there's lies on the exhibition label, it is ice and it's quite an amazing opportunity and study of a large block of ice and and, um, I suppose impurities that might occur within such a large piece of ice and how it can be carved. And also as as the exhibition um, continues, that the surface of the alien is changing. You know, it arrived kind of cloudy with a few drips and it's becoming this very kind of shiny, Stone in yeah, a way, like a it's transparent stone. A,
2: yeah, it's, it's going through a period of erosion. There's a, um, a sort of airflow going through it where there's a, a hot and cold cycle taking out the air, replacing the cold air. So. Yeah.
0: But do you choose? I, I guess my question to sort of f- finish that wondering was mm. are you choosing materials and then kind of going somewhere with them? Or are you kind of choosing an idea or a problem and then sort of finding yeah. which material is the best way to articulate that?
1: Okay.
4: Um, I think the, the two, uh, the two progress together, they, it's, it's hard, it's kind of, I don't know, chicken and the egg type of thing, I don't know, but, um, but it's, it's not, um, it's not usually, um, material, um, interrogation or, or whatever, you know, I think it's, it's something that, um, evolves with the idea, so maybe it's a, uh, uh, it's a component of the idea, which also informs the idea in some way, because of the, because there's, uh, there's been a material um, uh, shift or something, so it informs the idea, but um, it doesn't usually start with let's use ice or let's use wax. Mm.
0: So why did you use ice in this, in this, um, on this occasion?
4: Uh, I, well, ice occasions was, was actually <laughs> the name of a company that we went to begin with. To begin with, um, ice occasions, but we didn't. We didn't go with them. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, I think. W- well, well, why
0: not something glow in the dark, or why not hmm. something? I am in...
4: talking too much. But yeah.
2: um, well, I guess it it's, it's, was well, it's probably the most simplest sort of material, like ice, like. It, Without adding anything else, like we thing thinking like maybe Frozen Coke or something like that. But that's, yeah. I mean, it, was, it just adds an extra layer of album, yeah. which we didn't really I think we, w- we wanted to simplify
3: sticks. it a bit, like it was already yeah. complicated enough, but we wanted this idea that it's really simple and that everyone can kind of um, interact with, like have a, a way in in that, you know, it's a really well-known iconic thing. And then yeah. it's a bit funny as well. So, that, you know, there's humorous, so you can kind of get in there. but. I think yeah, we didn't want to add too much stuff to it, like you know, with the Hitler thing, or you know, meta a coke, and you know, and then it's in. Yeah. Didn't want to make it too complicated, like. Right.
4: It, <laughs> it, but it, it also came out of thinking about um, like our very first discussions about um, about what to do for the show. Kind of came out of talking about the the value and status, the value and status that I've kind of associated with. Acker in particular, a show like new, so it was um, was talking about um, the elevation that usually happens for an artist's work through the show mm-hmm. um, so yeah we started talking about you know status and, and things like that, so it came it kind of came to um thinking about these ideas and then this eye sculpture thing came up, and it seemed to work with the nature of the show in some way because. Eye um, sculptures are, are normally kind of associated with like gala, uh, gala events or weddings or corp- or corporate events or something. So the idea of ACCA perhaps hosting a, a corporate event mm. for sponsors or something didn't seem too far removed. Um, you know, th- this wasn't the reason why, but it kind of in, informed the reason why... Um,
2: Yeah. And I sculpture felt right for for this occasion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess it was like connections before, as I was saying, with um, the idea of alien and um, the relationship of um, humans trying to seek out life through similar forms and stuff like that, through water. So. Um, I guess all sort of connections and stuff like that came a bit later on, but I think initially it was just a little bit intuitive, it just seemed pretty straightforward to go, okay, freezer, ice, yeah, that's going to work That's want to go. Yeah. But sure. I mean,
3: the thing with materials, I mean, those things kind of excite us as well. Like, I think we so. I mean, a... I
0: can see that. It, that to me, yeah. and going into your studio, that is very apparent.
3: Oh, I mean, Yeah, like we did another thing full of listerine, like thing out a resin hmm. that people thought were ice. So it's... Yeah, that, that stuff keeps it exciting, I guess. Like, we don't really sort of stick to one thing and say, oh, let's, mm. let's do yeah. that. And I think it's about keeping it interesting for us too and what fits the idea, what fits the, mm. the show. And
0: Well, one but, a question really which relates to both of you is because to some degree both of your works do um, have quite a direct relationship to the institution. Um, yours relies, I suppose, on ACCA to ensure that electricity is ongoing to that thing, which... You know, we kind of t- undertake OH&S planning to make sure there's a generator in the back just in case something terrible happens and the power goes off. And of course, as soon as that step is undertaken, a notice comes out from Arts Victoria that all the power is going to be cut off for a whole day in April. Um, so that planning comes from into mind. effect very quickly. Um, but there is that relationship, the work will exist as long as, you know, I guess it relies on the institution to make sure it kind of keeps in existence for the duration of the show. And then also Tim with yours, your work actually being made audible through the material, the architecture of the site of the place. What happens or have you considered what happens or how the works will be read if they are reshown? Like how, how might yours translate
1: yeah, I mean I guess it's kind of a a balance between like the work being fifty percent pre recorded and then fifty percent like actually getting made in the space. Mm-hmm. And that's not like a you know, that's not live transmission or whatever, but that's just actually the speakers making the noise or being turned on. So um I yeah, I guess I could see the recording being Played back in another place, um, but it might require sort of a different support structure to enable that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And for you guys, I mean, is it a is it a, a comment on the relationship between artists and institutions?
3: Yeah, I think so. I did. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's like this play with value, I guess. It's it's the same as the um, the imagery and the idea of aliens. Like it only exists because. Um, because people have this idea, because it's like this collective uh, consciousness mm. has come up with this thing, uh, and you know, whether they're real or not isn't really yeah. n- important to us. So the fact that it is a phenomena and a you know a universally seen thing as a symbol is is mm. interesting enough. So I guess um, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I guess it can be
4: it can be read in in a way like that. Like it's very uh, it's very straightforward. Um, I mean the power I mean the um, power cord is running straight to the institutional mm. power socket, so it literally is keeping the work. Um, yeah, it's kind of like yeah. having a so machine. yeah. But um, but yeah, if you're talking about um, conservation.
1: Oh,
0: well, yeah, I mean, or, we were also talking yeah. before. I went to a, a lecture last night about conservation when it comes to contemporary art, and there was lots of interesting examples brought up about um, conservation practices and sort of mitigating factors that are introduced to in the equation when when conservators are working with contemporary art. And, um, and there was a woman there who had worked as a conservator at the Hirshhorn Museum, and she'd been in to see new, and when I spoke with her afterwards, she said that she'd considered presenting your work as part of her presentation because of, I guess, the conservation issues that it posed in terms of being an ice sculpture that needed electricity to survive. Yep. Have you, as a, as a, as a group, discussed um, what the life of this alien is once it leaves the gallery space?
2: Well, I guess that depends on how it leaves. I mean, if someone leaves with it, it's kind of up to them. But I mean, I think we have sort of made a very rough consensus that We'll probably chuck the alien out and um, give us of instructions to the person who, uh, if someone wants to buy us or whatever happens, with it, if, if that happens, and they sort of receive the service instructions and um, yeah. have to remake it, and every time it sort of gets to the point where it's going to fall over, break or melt or cause problems and it's going to have to reoccur again. But um, the most likely event is that um, we're going to be the custodians of it again, so we'll probably throw it out and sell the freezer. <laughs> it's brutal, but it is for sale. Huh? <laughs> it is yes, it is for sale. It is for sale. <laughs> so
0: so
4: so yeah, it, it it's a big responsibility. I mean, someone could take that on um, if they if they want to, but um, but really, if um, if someone was to buy the work, we we would probably remake the work again because it's it's kind of it's a. Um, it's an idea or a set of ideas leading to, to what you see in the gallery, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's, um, um, yeah.
0: They can be executed If it, you can
4: sell, you know, you can sell can that then... Well, you, you can will. sell
0: it, the idea of the alien. I mean, it's made lots of people millions and millions of dollars, huh? Mm.
1: It's fairly accessible, exactly. yes.
0: Are there any um, questions, I suppose, for the Greatest Hits or for Tim Costa? Dead audience. Well, <laughs> I would li- like to say thank you because I think between these two works, there's um, there's been a bit of shock and alarm, and you know, entertainment, and um, much to think about in terms of human constructs and constructs of the other, and also perceptions of buildings and institutions like ACA. Um So thank you very much for coming, and thank you the four of you for coming here and speaking this evening.